When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can you hear me? I've been contributing 40,000 pounds yearly Hello, is this the advice line? I must have called a thousand times To tell you I'm sorry I made a mistake, oh but when I call you, never seem to be open. Hello and welcome to an episode of Tax Able. Today I'm joined by Zach Stafford and I will let Zach introduce himself and tell you what he does. Hi, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> I think it's the first thing to say when you come on these types yeah. of things. Uh, but um, no, my name is Zach Stafford and I am a financial advisor. I'm actually based in Italy at the moment, although I cover most of Europe, which yep. is in the EU, the EEA. And mainly what I specialize in is UK pensions, looking at that from an international perspective or perhaps people who are moving back to the UK or anyone who simply just wants some advice on mm -hmm. how they're UK pension, whether that's state, private, occupational, DB, DC, we can get into that in a yeah. moment, <laughs> um, and how they operate. And obviously any upgrades or anything that's available to uh, an international resident or, as I said, someone moving back. So that's where... Amazing. I so I don't know if many people realise that accountants and tax advisors can't actually give advice on pensions. So you need an expert like yourself for that. Mm. We advise on withdrawing or making contributions and the tax implications of those, mm. but we can't actually say to someone what they should or should not be doing. Mm -hmm. So it's always handy, I think, for an accountant or a tax advisor to have a pension advisor on hand. Yeah, for sure. I actually think that what works really well is actually combining the two mm -hmm. getting pieces of advice from an accountant because I will be totally honest when it comes to the tax side of things you know I'm not necessarily you know definitely not the smartest person in this room that's for sure <laughs> um, so I'm more on the side of the investment perhaps as well you know mm -hmm. which, which sometimes that um, accountants can't you know the fantastic the tax side of things but you know what we're looking at in terms of returns uh, risk profiling and then also ultimately how you can spend money from that pension scheme and save for your retirement. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So I know nothing about pensions. I know that I pay in one with my day-to-day -day job mm. and I have looked into getting a private pension, but mm -hmm. I am a complete novice. So can you teach me something about pensions, please? I suppose a little bit. Okay, mm. so I think the main thing that what we need to understand with pension schemes and part of the negative connotations around pensions mm -hmm. is that you know when you're growing up, it's always your grandmother 
who's got a, they're on a pension aren't they it's yeah that kind of sense of mobility around it but in terms of an asset it can actually be one of the most effective if not the most effective investment tool that um, someone can have in their financial arsenal mm-hmm. when you think about you know some of the tax incentives that you got for paying into a pension scheme mm-hmm. especially from an income perspective in the uk yeah then you can use that not only to mitigate a taxation that you'd pay on a standard investment because I know if you you know you know about capital gains mm-hmm. tax right yeah. on on pensions which aren't necessarily on, on assets which aren't necessarily in a wrapper whilst a pension contribution where you can obviously contribute forty thousand um, pounds tax free mm-hmm. uh, of, of your income uh, a year or one hundred percent of relevant UK earnings depending mm-hmm. on which one is, yeah. is is higher at the time so with that you know you've got an opportunity to pay in pre-tax money into an investment which also can grow tax-free and then ultimately when you come to take the money out of the pension scheme you can take a 25% tax-free lump sum or Mm -hmm. PCLS as we we call it in the in the industry. Mm -hmm. I think it's um, really key that you pointed out that you get tax relief when you pay it in and some people may not realize that um, the government actually top up the essentially the amount of tax that you would pay and that's the way it works in the UK and also that if you are self-employed yes you have a 40,000 pound annual allowance but if you if your business profits aren't that high you may not be able to utilize that 40,000 as well so you need to be aware of how much you can actually invest and especially in those earlier years you may not be able to do say more than 10 or 20,000 but it's good to do it year on year isn't it to keep it growing yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, when we, um, especially in volatile markets as we're in at the moment, when it comes mm. to the investment side of things, looking at dollar cost averaging, which is effectively making sure you're paying in on a regular a regular mm-hmm. basis. So when you've got the opportunity, especially when you're in an employed capacity, to pay in on a regular basis from your pre-tax income, then not only are you paying in some, but typically your employer will match your income or even pay mm-hmm. in slightly more, okay? So we can go into the kind of the brackets of that. In yeah. A moment. yeah. And would you suggest for say, younger people that are just starting out and working, mm-hmm. is it better to say invest in a pension rather than everyone's investing in say crypto and mm-hmm. NFTs? And I think that draws a lot of, um, what's the word? Um, it draws a lot of attention mm-hmm. because you know they're seen as very exciting and you can get great returns. Yep. But I guess maybe sometimes the pension falls to the wayside if someone's not in employment and they don't have to or have the option to pay into a pension. Yeah, exactly. I think it's um, at the moment it's crypto and NFTs mm-hmm. which are getting the headlines whilst you're not really getting that from pension side of things. But the truth is, is if you look at, and as we mentioned before, when young people or whoever are shopping around or looking for a personal pension perhaps, then if you look at some of the more um, let's say integrated platforms that are available via, you know, I don't endorse any of these companies <laughs> perhaps, but someone like AJ Bell, Hargreaves Lansdowne, who have got these effectively, you know, their, their platform investment mm-hmm. um, tools. And you can use them as effectively as you could any kind of trading platform, but you've got all the benefits of having it as a pension as well. Okay. And you can, of course, use and uh, purchase different asset classes in there, one of which being crypto mm-hmm. or, you know, it will move into that kind of NFT space in the future, I imagine. But you've got, you know, open architecture, as we call it, for investment. And yeah. you can utilize all those different exciting things that necessarily you wouldn't associate. You can with have pension. like a diversification and exactly. a mixed portfolio. Okay, of course, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Exactly. Yeah. 
So what different types of pensions are there? Okay, so there's obviously, in the UK, I'd probably say mainly, if we talk about the, the there's, there's different variations, mm-hmm. okay, of course, but the two private pension schemes, I'd say, that you need to consider or have considerations of is defined contribution, mm-hmm. which is your money purchase arrangement. And this is where, very simply, the contribution is defined. You mm-hmm. know how much is going in, right? And that's where you pay in some from your income yeah okay and your employer typically matches it like if you pay three percent from your salary and then your employer pays like five percent or something yeah Yeah. exactly the other one would be defined benefit which Mm -hmm. is final salary now there aren't too many of these schemes around anymore. yeah the teachers used to have them so the uss is uh, is the one at the moment Mm -hmm. which is um it's the, the problem with these schemes is is they there are a very good idea and they're very attractive in terms of you know i'll come and work for us and i'll effectively give you one sixtieth of your salary times 20 as mm-hmm. a quick calculation for you in retirement so base and you don't even have to contribute for it it's a, it's a great bonus to have oh wow the only issue with these pension schemes these days is that they are horrifically underfunded mm-hmm. um, and people are living longer in terms of demographics so you've got people who you know typical retirement people used to live until they were probably you know 70 mm-hmm. and retire at 65 so this company would only have to pay them for five years We've now got people who are retiring 55 years old and living into their 80s and even 90s. Mm-hmm. With inflation going up as it is as well, these pension schemes are keeping line with inflation, typically CPI. Mm-hmm. So therefore, these pension companies are having to pay more money out for longer. And they're just really non-sustainable. And as I said before, you would have seen with the USS mm-hmm. uh, pension scheme, they're all protesting at the moment because there simply isn't enough money in this pot to pay the, the, the pensioners yeah. and what's what's interesting for me is that the USS final salary pension scheme it's the oldest pension scheme in the UK and it just seems funny to me that it's the first one that's going that's literally had to turn around and go we don't have enough money to pay mm. you please so the members are striking obviously so we've seen some of these pension schemes recently we know we're under we're, we're in trouble um, and perhaps we're going to see more of these pension schemes come into default. But yeah. you know, if you if you do have one, good on you. Uh, but yeah. there are some options you can take to combat this this change, these 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 sort of pitfalls of having this type of pension scheme at the moment. Yeah, I think I remember reading a little while ago that they're not really bringing out any new D. Is it DB? DB defined benefit. Defined benefit pensions. Yeah, yeah. Um, pension schemes that really it's all going to be defined contribution because of the issues with them being underfunded. And exactly. Then, was exactly. it government? Did the government bail a couple of them out? I can't quite remember. Well, there is something called the PPF, which mm-hmm. is the Pension Protection Fund. So if a company, for example, has happened recently, Toys R Us, Virgin, mm-hmm. Carillion, these companies have gone bust. And what happens is, you know, what happens to the pension scheme then? Mm-hmm. So it falls in something called, called a PPF. And it's funny because the FCA and HMRC, I hope none of them are watching at the moment, they <laughs> tout this as a very big positive. Mm-hmm. The truth is, it's a lifeboat coming off of the Titanic. It's not the same. Yeah. Right? You're capped at typically 90%. So therefore, you don't necessarily have this, you will no, won't get the same amount. And then does it still grow the same? Not always, yeah. okay? You, the other sad thing with final salary pension schemes is is that unlike a defined contribution, is that when you die with a final salary pension scheme, typically what's offered is 50% to your spouse. So if you're getting mm-hmm. £10,000 a year, you pop your clogs, your spouse will get 50%, okay? When you die, when, the, sorry, when your spouse dies, they then get nothing, right? Mm-hmm. It's then gone, okay? With a money purchase arrangement, 
obviously the whole amount gets paid to your beneficiary if you die before 75 years old completely tax-free oh, so it, form, it forms a very good uh, um, inheritance strategy mm -hmm. therefore so if you have a dc worth a hundred thousand and you were to die and then your partner or your or whoever it was sorry your, your chose you could actually choose your beneficiaries as okay well. so it doesn't have to be it a spouse it could be, be a child or it yeah, could be a, a friend or anyone yeah mm -hmm. exactly and then once you once they die, they they can then can pass it on as many times as they oh, want. Oh, that's good. Tax free yeah. as well. Yeah. So the income. Yeah. yeah. So, however, if you die after seventy five years old, then you uh, it's taxed as income. Yeah, that makes so, sense though, because yeah. you didn't really get enough time to really use your pension, I guess, before. No, exactly. Yeah. And then you have your lifetime allowance, don't you? Of I think it used to be a million, but now it's like one million and seventy three. Seventy eight thousand one hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So, what it was is the lifetime allowance is effectively how much you can have in your pension scheme without breaching a limit, which mm -hmm. then is taxed quite severely, actually. Yeah. So it's almost punitive, isn't it? That they don't want you to hold that much cash in a pension. Well, I mean, the reason why they did it, do you remember the banker's bonus scandal and all yeah. these people? What the Then what the bankers realised is, is when they're their bonuses were getting taxed so severely is, is they realized they could just chuck them all into their pension scheme mm -hmm. and effectively then not pay any tax and then the companies right. would get tax relief as well with the lifetime allowance what they've done is they've basically made this cap so that people you know because a million is a lot of money to your average employee yeah. or self-employed person in the uk to yeah. have in a pension scheme that is a lot of money right um but it used to be 1.8 million Mm. And since that's when I first started working in this industry, it was 1.8 million. I've just seen it gradually come down and down and down and down and down. And part of the reason for that is that the tax that the government can reclaim is so high. I think they mm -hmm. claimed, I think it was 9 billion in the last oh, wow. two years from bringing the, the threshold down. Because so anything over a million, and then what they've done is they've added their, their inflation proofing. Oh, it. okay. Is that so that's what it was? why it's creeping mm -hmm. up. Um, anything over that, is taxed the income is taxed at 25 percent mm -hmm. and if you take a lump sum 55 percent oh wow so it's not worth it at all yeah so yeah. the truth is is you know when you're starting off in your career and you're young definitely get into building up your pension scheme mm -hmm. and then by the time you know if you give yourself a 25 year investment horizon if you manage to get to a million great mm -hmm. good for you and then you know and this is another thing with these final salary pension schemes as well when you um come to take the money from them it's, there are different modes of this, but it's called a benefit crystallization event. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they test your lifetime allowance at that point, and they do a calculation that takes into consideration your final salary pension. So if you're okay, yeah. on, you know, if you've got a final salary of around twenty thousand pounds a year, they'd roughly say value that pension at around five hundred thousand mm pounds. -hmm. So, you know, you're not going to be at the lifetime allowance there. But you meet, have you might have noticed uh, recently in the news as well, where these doctors. Mm -hmm. A lot of them haven't been coming out of retirement or have not wanting to, and they've been complaining about their pension schemes because of the life, because they're, vow, they're, they're you know, they're going to get about £90,000. Yeah, so they're going to they're going to breach the limit. They're going to breach the limit. Yeah, so that that's what they kind of, you know, when the COVID situation was happening, these doctors yeah. wanted these assurances on their pensions. Because they were they, delaying their retirement just to help out the NHS, weren't they? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's... um. I mean, it's it's the ex. The funny thing about pensions is, I guess, as well, is it's the uh, the ex chief economist at the Bank of England is quoted as saying, um, "I consider myself quite financially savvy and literate. However, I cannot make any sense of pensions." So, <laughs> it's it's one yeah. of those areas where 
you know you can talk about it till your face goes blue but mm-hmm. to be honest it's just there is a lot to take yeah. in there really really is whenever i see there was always um like a chapter to do with pensions with my exams mm-hmm. but we you know we roughly touch on like whether it was a dc or a db yeah but that was many years ago but really as soon as we hear it in the office we're like oh no pension yep. expert don't want to touch it don't know there's we do accounts for um schools but what are they called now academies they've turned into academy trusts yeah, my school's an academy trust yeah. Now. yeah essentially they're run almost like a company but they're still government funded so i think well, they've got a little bit more control so they can get more funding isn't mm. it, as i understand but. but the pension pages in the accounts i breezed past those really? I was like that looks roughly what that's meant to say <laughs> i'll that's leave that up to uh, someone with a higher pay grade than me to mm. double check but i think it's just because there's so much information you have to declare yep because obviously there, there, there's requirements there for a reason that you know you have to have notes to the accounts, you have to have um, information declared when you've got these certain types of pensions because they need it to be transparent. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I feel like it's a bit like information overload. I completely agree um, that when you think when people have these thoughts about pension schemes, one of the other ones is is there is just not enough clear information, mm-hmm. and you know they're not really sexy. There's nothing really uh, inter- like uh, that's going to get younger people interested in looking yeah. into their pension schemes. The only way I can really think of making it more interesting is when I think about how much am I going to get when I reach, say, 55 or 65, now turning to 67? Mm-hmm. How much can I get per year if I put in X now and I keep doing that now? Mm-hmm. What Can I give up work and what salary will I have and what sort of lifestyle would I have? I say salary, but, you know, the amount that you're withdrawing annually, mm-hmm. but I treat it as a salary. Then I can kind of envisualize what my life would be like. And then mm. I think that would get me more excited now, like, after turning, well, 10.30 a little while ago. (laughs) But now you do start to think, okay, well, maybe because our parents are getting a bit older and they're starting to take their pensions. I'm like, actually, I probably need to know about what I'm going to get and what's my lifestyle going to be like. Exactly. I think it's about gratification, isn't Mm. it? We live in this instant gratification world. Mm -hmm. But a pension is definitely a longer-term investment. And I completely agree that part of um, what I love about my job is, is as I sort of spoke about earlier slightly is a lot of advisors in my space they don't do a clear spending strategy Mm -hmm. and you know part one of my favorite questions when i speak to clients is what does retirement look like for you where are you going to be how much do you consider to live off to be comfortable Mm -hmm. what do you want to do what's your lifestyle going to look like and then we really try and draw a picture of what that's going to be and how we can facilitate that either with their pension or with with other assets mm-hmm. and i think you're totally right that i i kind of think about the future myself then i think you know i'm i'm excited about retirement <laughs> and but it's it's not you know it's not the only thing i ever think about no. to get excited about right <laughs> it's but, only one day a week exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um it's a lot of people don't i think do massively underestimate the amount that they will need in mm-hmm. retirement well i mean I'll, I'll ask you the question if you think about the day right Mm -hmm. split into eight hours eight hours eight hours you spend eight hours working eight hours sleeping and eight hours leisure Mm -hmm. right when do you spend the most money all in your leisure all in your leisure Mm. right so when we stop working we double the amount of leisure time Mm -hmm. that we have so people go oh i'll need less money in retirement the sad truth is you actually do need more right? yeah because you end up going on more holidays you then like mm-hmm. going on more trips to go see family and just get bring like get new hobbies exactly and mm. you've got bigger you've got a bigger family yeah um, did you say that 
No, you're more no. like you spend time with family, yeah, don't sorry. you? No, yeah, you've got a bigger family because you're typically older, so you've had kids, grandkids, mm-hmm. even great-grandkids, who knows? And, you know, there are, I think, that, as I said earlier, if, if 40 is the new 30, then 60 is the new 50 or even yeah. 40. People, retirement is a very different animal yeah it looks very different now doesn't it it used to be winding down you know on a rocking chair with a glass of gardening (laughs) doing everything very relaxing and just oh i've I've worked all my life i can now die in peace Mm -hmm. right that was retirement yeah yeah? now it's you know you work your whole career working for other people working Mm -hmm. for a company working for a boss and spending all your time dedicating to you know not necessarily your own pursuits however Mm -hmm. when you retire now the amount of people I know retiring, starting their own businesses, yeah, doing, uh, you know, traveling the world, having all these amazing experiences, and do you, what do you want your retirement to look like? Do you mm-hmm. want it to look like, you know, the rocking chair on the lawn, or do you want it to be something you can really look forward to and get yeah. excited about? And as I said, that's one of the best parts of my job. Yeah, I think uh, since well, my mum's been retired for a little while, mm-hmm. but my dad's semi-retired, but he's never going to stop. Is what no. we've realised because during COVID, when work slowed down, mm-hmm. he. St- struggled he was like i just he was like i don't have enough hobbies he was like there's just not enough for me to do he was like i need to work for something to do Mm -hmm. otherwise there's just him and my mum in the house and he's like it's a lot when you're both not working like you don't really appreciate it i mean covid probably highlighted this for a lot of people if unfortunately they did lose their jobs or Mm -hmm. even working from home when you don't have the external things to do or work to keep you busy Mm -hmm. there's a lot of hours in the day I completely agree. Mm. I all do. I do think, though, contrastingly to that, though, if you are fit and able enough to carry on working, mm-hmm. all for that. Yeah. And if you love what you do, if you're passionate about it, then crack on. And mm. I really implore people to do that. The other thing, though, is that when we think about retirement and pensions, is is you know I'm 32, uh, about to turn 32 actually, and um, I've realised in the last couple of years that um, I want to get back into sport I want to start playing mm-hmm. football again which I haven't been doing because I've been thinking oh a bit too busy a bit too career yeah. driven and stuff so and you think about when you get older and if you can how, how old's your dad 16 he's gonna he's gonna be watching this I'm gonna say yeah. 65 <laughs> this year well there we go you can get yeah. a state pension too yeah I think so <laughs> yeah um <laughs> you know and if you're fit and you're healthy and you can carry on working mm. you feel good and everything fantastic yeah but the sad thing is, as we get older, our bodies do start to de- decline. Yeah, right? especially in, in a physical job. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what happens if you need, if you don't have enough money and you need long, you need support, you need care? Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you, this is a very sad thing. The only difference between an old man and an elderly gentleman mm-hmm. is how much money they have. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, if, if you what kind of care would you like to be able to provide yourself and also other people as well, of course, you know, people get sick, people get ill all the mm-hmm. time. Right. And having that kind of nest egg that you're able to support your family with, a pension is a good way of doing that. Yeah. yeah. So it's just something to bear in mind as well. Sorry yeah. to put it on a bit of a downer on a sad note. There. No, it's <laughs> kind of like when we have to talk about inheritance tax. Yeah. Like the thing, pensions and inheritance tax sort of go hand in hand because they're around that sort of age that everyone starts thinking about them and they become the most important thing. Yeah. I think whenever you talk about these things for later in life and, you know, passing money on to family members, it always gets a little bit morbid because you're always mm. talking about like the final stages. Yeah. Yeah. But it's something that we all need to think about. We can't all think about just right here and right now. Yeah, no, agreed. As we said, with the, with the pension side of things, it is a longer term investment. Mm-hmm. I think adding it as, as we said, a tool in the in the belt 
yeah. is definitely something you should do, especially for the longer term. For lo- for shorter term, obviously, I know you probably do, do a lot of work with ISAs as yeah. well. I would definitely have both of those things mm-hmm. on the go. As I said, the only difference is in a tax perspective is that you can contribute 100% tax-free mm-hmm. in terms of the income to a pension. Yeah. Whilst when you pay money into an ISA, it will be coming from post-tax money. Yeah. So if you know, effectively every 100 pounds you put in, depending on your tax bracket, it's a lot. It's you've had to earn yeah. more than that, effectively. So if people can sort of take away from this and think about pensions as being similar as investing in shares, because you could be investing for a long time, mm-hmm. but they are a tool that is more tax beneficial. Um, at the end so you'll have more money in your pocket at the end because you get the tax benefits when you pay in and then you've got more tax benefits when you take it out like the 25 percent lump sum correct yeah as well i think um with a pension scheme not being able to access it until 55 mm-hmm. is actually a very positive thing in terms of once it's in you can't get it out it's a bit of a lobster pot mm-hmm. right and so therefore it kind of forces you to save an isa obviously is great you can contribute twenty thousand pounds a year to your isa um again it has to come from post-tax money mm-hmm. effectively however you can pull your money out of an isa virtually at any point right yeah and when it comes to falling into your estate in terms of tax unless you're married it does just fall into um part of your assets mm-hmm. right it's unlike a pension scheme which gives you that benefit to pay out to whoever you want yeah basically tax-free so there are obviously benefits to that again the other side of that is is if something happens to you and you desperately need that money and of course it does happen then an ISA you can take the money out of whilst the pension scheme it's locked isn't it critically ill Mm -hmm. unless you are about to die terminally ill you won't be able to take the money out oh really they're quite strict on they are they are it's um and it's kind of up to you to to prove how ill you are you are yeah really so it is a bit you know so definitely don't it's very cliche but don't put all your eggs in one basket mm-hmm. right you know and it's sometimes you can apply that saying to a lot of things yeah but i think with this it definitely is the use it as you know part of your arsenal yeah property tax uh property obviously property is an investment mm-hmm. we all know the benefits of that right and then isa more liquid smaller yeah. amounts pension income i'll probably say for retirement planning i try and make sure that clients are you know have those three an individual or private savings account similar to an ISA mm-hmm. in the UK, property for all the reasons that we know, yeah, and then pension for the reasons we've just spoken about. They're kind of yeah. the three pillars of retirement, I would say. Yeah, and I think now everyone is more aware about why it's good to invest, and mm-hmm. um, I think social media has been quite good with that. There are a lot more podcasts, and YouTubers are making a lot of money now, and they talk mm. about investing quite a lot. So I think the younger generation are more aware of what they should be doing because when we were in our 20s, no one was really thinking about investing, really, unless you were in finance um, or in that world. It's only since maybe the last couple of years I think it's come to light a bit more. We're like, okay, actually, I want to invest in shares or crypto. I want to do something. I want to get more. I want to make money from the money that I've got. I think that's come from the digitization, though, Mm -hmm. of the world, the way things have gone, you know. It's mad to think all the things we can do on our phones mm-hmm. these days. The fact that, you know, you've got all of your banking apps, cards, you know, all, all my... If anyone stole my phone, they stole my life, mm-hmm. basically, you know. So anyone watching this, please yeah. don't take my phone. That's why it's so close right now, yeah. Um, and um, 
I think, yeah, with with the access you've got to, you know, especially the company that, that I work for, we've got a number of different apps mm. in which, the, you know, you can do savings, you can do regular investment, you can do pensions, you can do crypto. Mm-hmm. We've launched an NFT platform as well. Oh, wow. So the point of that is, is, you know, you've got all these different options right at your fingertips. And with advertisements, et cetera, you, you, that are online, you get to see them a lot more mm-hmm. as well because these companies, you know, they, they do hold a lot of money mm-hmm. and they want to increase... Um, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're a client bank by speaking to younger people as well yeah. because they know if they can start people early, then they're they've got you locked in for years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. So. Yeah. I was thinking more about they can ultimately have a yeah. bigger pot, but they'll they will be locked in for years. I yeah. guess. Yeah, it's always good. So you uh, are based in Italy, but obviously your clients are all over the world. Do you mm-hmm. deal mainly with clients that are, say, expats, or um, what's your client base usually made up of? Yeah, so company which i work for we typically um let's say work with expats mm-hmm. um and that you know we have our main office is probably uh dubai mm-hmm. right because there's obviously a massive expat community yeah. there whilst with italy it's quite unique because we don't have a huge expat community unlike say spain mm-hmm. for example which does um, but what we do have is a large number of Italians who previously worked in the UK. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you know, if you've been around London a lot. There's it, Little Italy, isn't well, there? Yeah, I mean, Down the road. <laughs> well, Little Italy. Yeah. But um, especially around the kind of, you know, Soho area. And then mm-hmm. um, there's lots and lots of Italian restaurants, yeah. Italian-owned businesses. And did you know that apart from um, American and French, there are more Italian bankers in London than any other nationality. Oh, really? Yeah. So my, the main um, demographic of people that I work with is Italian bankers mm-hmm. who used to work in Italy who have moved back. I then also have uh, retail clients who we look and manage about starting an international pension mm-hmm. for as well. But to be honest, I don't have, let's say, um, a specific type of client that mm-hmm. I work with. Everyone has kind of got different situations back in the UK. It could be... Um, an English lady who's come back and she's got multiple pensions in the UK from ex-employment at different mm-hmm. pharma companies. And then we look at either consolidating those or managing those from a UK perspective or an international perspective. Mm-hmm. Maybe a guy who's come over, um, you know, just for on a short-term contract in Italy, but he has got some sort of financial stuff he needs to sort out before he moves back. You yeah. can also take care of that as well. So I don't have a specific... Uh, demographic but um, in Italy it's definitely returning Italians who are are the people we mainly speak to yeah it's interesting what you said because I've always wondered this and I've had this question a few times Mm -hmm. is if you've got lots of different pension pots from different employments Mm -hmm. and a lot of people forget that they you know the job they had when they were 20 or 23 and they say they moved around a few times they may have five six seven different pensions so Mm -hmm. can you consolidate them all into one and how does someone do that Yeah, sure. So there's a number of different things um, you can do to kind of get that ball rolling. Mm -hmm. The main thing you need to do first is literally just take a pen and paper, write down everywhere you've worked Mm -hmm. until you've had a right up until the present. Okay, and effectively what you can do is two things there as well. The first one is if you've worked at a company for more than two years, let's just say roughly that. They have to basically keep your pension scheme in force. Okay. right. Or they can transfer it to your next your new place, yeah. right? But if you've been working there two years, they keep it in force. If you work less than two years, what they'll typically do is give you a refund of contributions, mm-hmm. right? So when you leave that company, they'll pay you back anything that they've they done. Yeah. Okay. Um, so get a list of all these different companies, right? If any of them are over, 
or whoever you've worked with, anything for over two years and you're not sure, okay, the best thing you can do is just contact their HR department or their mm -hmm. pension. They have a dedicated pension um, arm there, okay? Yeah. The other thing you can do is use the government, um, the, a tool on the HMRC website, which is the pension tracing service. Okay. okay. You put in your ex-employer and it will bring up a list of the of the, the employment um, of the companies linked to that employment. You click mm -hmm. the exact one because, you know, there are different arms of different employers. Yeah. And it will tell you the name of the administrator of that pension scheme. Oh, fab. So you know who to email and to get in contact exactly. with. Yeah. And then you can track it down. Another one, obviously, is speak to any ex-colleagues you're still friends with and see if yeah. they know. Sometimes that can be a quicker route, you know. Um, um, and then what you can do with that is just as a sort of side note on this as well, the second thing is that we haven't touched on the state pension mm. yet either, is that effectively what you've got is as soon as you're issued your national insurance number, let's say, mm -hmm. you are earning state pension mm -hmm. credits, juvenile credits, they can be called if you're at university. Okay, okay. yeah. And, or full-time education, right? And basically you can also check your state pension mm -hmm. online. If you go onto government gateway, you can look up your state pension forecast and it tells you how much more you need to contribute and for how long okay. in order to get the full state pension. Mm -hmm. So do you know much about the state pension? I know in terms of if you're self-employed and you do not make and you miss a year of your class four contributions, you can miss out on your state pension. So you mm -hmm. have to make sure when you're self-employed that you're voluntarily paying. This is only if your profits are um, slightly too low to trigger national insurance, you should mm -hmm. voluntarily pay it. Yep. But because I've always been employed, it's always been on my radar, but mm -hmm. I know that I don't need to worry about missing a year or something happening. I would only really consider it if, say, the worst happened and I needed to get a new job. Yeah, it's, it's a funny old one, national insurance, because mm -hmm. it's the way it's structured is that it's, all, it's the people in the middle who mm -hmm. pay most, really, mm -hmm. uh, because... If you don't earn up to a certain amount, you don't pay anything. So let's say people on lower incomes aren't paying national insurance. Mm -hmm. If you earn, it doesn't matter how much you earn. If you earn thousands of hundreds of thousands of millions or whatever, you only pay up to a certain amount. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is why there was a big backlash recently with regards to Boris Johnson raising national yeah, insurance. Yeah, it's like 1.25%, I yeah. think. Yeah. So it's the people in the middle, the everyday working person who is getting, who is seeing a tax mm -hmm. increase. Rich people won't even notice because yeah. because it's already at the limit, and then people on very low incomes who need government support weren't getting any kind of incentive. No, just they're not paying any. They're not paying they're anything not, at the moment. Yeah, they're not going to get anything back, right? So, the, with the state pension, um, it works effectively pro rata, right? Mm -hmm. So, ten years minimum. If you contribute less than ten years, you not entitled to a UK state pension. Okay, yeah. So minimum is ten years. And then it gradually creeps up. So the maximum is 35 years mm -hmm. for the full state pension. So 10 to 35 years. And then anything in between that is what you effectively get. So mm -hmm. of the full state pension, which is around £9,300 at the moment a year. Oh, I was going to say in total. Jeez, that's not a lot. No, no £9,300 a year, which, mm -hmm. you know. It, it doesn't hurt. No, I think it's part of a retirement plan. You yeah, know. it's just that extra cash. It's what, just un, well, about £800 a month yeah. tax-free. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it helps pay the bills. Good maths. Yeah. <laughs> Roundabout. Um, exactly. No, I mean, it helps with groceries. You're not going to starve mm. ever again, put it that yeah. way. Um, but it also goes up with inflation. It's, it's something, it goes up with something called the triple lock, which mm -hmm. a lot of people have heard of, which is um, the higher of AEI, so your average earnings, mm -hmm. um, CPI, 
and then 2.5 percent okay mm -hmm. whatever's highest out of those will it goes up it goes up by that but okay um so i think it's important with the state pension as i said to to factor it in mm -hmm. to what your retirement plans look like don't rely on it do not rely yeah, especially on with energy pension. bills do not rely on it because that's pretty much your monthly energy bill there you go if you're um not on a uh, fixed plan in italy they've um i mean this is more to do with um the the conflict at the moment mm -hmm. but we've had um our uh we've been told not to use aircon this summer oh really yeah they've said um and when we get into the winter uh, it was 29 percent we, of the whole country relies on Russian imports. Oh, wow. Of oil and gas, yeah. yes. Only second, I think, to one other country. I can't is remember. Is it Germany? I think it's Germany, yeah. Germany's like the highest, is it? Germany's the highest, which is why they haven't sanctioned them. We're going mm -hmm. off on a tangent here. I mean, okay, so this is interesting as well, actually. So part of the reason why um, I actually reached out to you, Tash, to, to mm. do this podcast or, or speak to you about it recently, specifically, um, these geopolitical events yeah. actually do have a big effect on pension schemes. If you take the three big ones, let's say over the last four years or so, mm -hmm. we take the conflict, the ongoing conflict at the moment, COVID mm -hmm. and Brexit. Okay. So when it comes to, especially where I am in Italy, double taxation agreements and transfer, uh, overseas transfer charges for, for transferring pensions internationally, Brexit has, you know, because as an, as an international resident, you have the right to, the statutory right to transfer your pension to, anywhere else in the EU or mm -hmm. to another country, but there are a lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah. Brexit has made this incredibly more complicated as we've seen from how uh, certain other assets are taxed from a perspective in Italy. Mm -hmm. In Italy, you pay something called IV tax, mm -hmm. EV, and you pay this on property that you own internationally. When you're part of the EU, you get a discount. It's 0.76% of the value of the property the average value of the property in the area that you live in from when the EU is incepted. So early 90s, right? So it's quite low. Very, very mm. low. Britain has just left the EU or has done over the last couple of years. So what they've done now is they are now taxed on, uh, Italians are taxed on their UK property like they would anywhere else that wasn't in the EU. Mm -hmm. So which is 0.76% on the val total value of the property. Oh, wow. So it's gone value. up a lot. It's gone, yeah. I've had clients go from paying couple of hundred pounds a, a year to now 17 20 000. if you've got a 1 million 1.5 million pound flat in london you've just seen your tax go absolutely through the roof they're taxed on it annually so it's not yeah. like just when they sell it so no, it's not like capital gains tax they'll, they'll have to pay that as well Ta italy's mm. a very high taxing country mm. um, there are incentives for people to move back um but if you're just living there it's very it's, it is very stringently taxed. Yeah, is that yeah. why you think there's a lot of um, Italians that say go and work in London to go and finance or banking or just to come over I, I to work for was... a bit and then come back later? Sorry, did I interrupt? No, it's fine. Um, I think it's because um, purely because London was seen as the you know the finance capital, especially mm -hmm. of Europe, um, and what you've got is infrastructure in London. You know, great. There's a lot of banks are headquartered there. Mm -hmm. However, what we're seeing is that my second largest client. Uh, portfolio is actually in Denmark in Copenhagen and the infrastructure that's going up there is just fantastic now mm -hmm. as well like the amount that you know just they never used to have the, the those sort of the, the banks that they had headquartered there and you're seeing all the skyscrapers go up and mm -hmm. you know, in Italy etc as well the people are just feeling oh well maybe it's time to come home I don't need to be here anymore yeah you know so and you can 
you know, there's always that pull of your ancestral home. You know? Yeah, and go see your family. And, exactly. Yeah. Or not, or run away from them and then maybe go back. <laughs> when you get older, you always want to be closer to your family. It's only when so. you're when you're younger, you want to go and see the world and you don't need them. Mm. That's a very interesting point, going back to what we were saying about uh, the type of clients that we mm-hmm. get. If I actually compare Dubai to Italy, I think if we're totally honest, people don't move to Dubai for the culture. No. Really. It's more for greed mm-hmm. let's be honest and there's yeah. nothing wrong with being ambitious mm-hmm. or wanting to make more money or doing better for your family but that's typically why we see people move to dubai yeah. is to make more money tax-free mm-hmm. living yeah it's the big affluent. pool everyone yeah. knows if you get offered a job from dubai that mm-hmm. you're gonna hopefully end up better off because yep. you don't need to worry about tax as much even though the it's uh, more expensive with, mm. with your rent and you know general um cost of living but mm-hmm. The pull of no tax. Yeah. Anyone hears that, they instantly want to go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, apart from you, because otherwise mm. you wouldn't have a job. I know. <laughs> I can't really move anywhere. I'm stuck in the yeah, UK. Exactly. Um, whilst the people who move to Dubai obviously do it for those motivations. Mm. I could go and do my job in Dubai and earn my money tax-free. But as you say, a higher standard of living, a high cost of living. Um, you know, uh, not very much in terms of culture. I was there actually last week, and I can mm. see why a lot of people like it. It is a good. It's fun. It's yeah, a it's fun good place. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like Disneyland for adults, mm-hmm. I guess, in that way. Had the best curry I've ever had in my life. Oh really? Oh god, it was the best mm. one I've ever had. Kyber. I am endorsing that. Yeah. One. Um, <laughs> they should uh, get in touch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsor this <laughs> this podcast. Um, I um, if I compare those to um the people who I meet in Italy, it's definitely much more of a, a cultural move or a family mm-hmm. lifestyle-based move. And and that kind of factors into the type of advice you give. Because for me, you know, a lot of the idea is a lot around protection of assets and making sure that if something happens or the worst happens to you, your family are looked after. Yeah. Whilst in Dubai, it's returns, investment. Mm-hmm. How much money can I make? What the It's all to spend now sort of thing. Yeah, it's all yeah. just kind of, you know, nouveau riche mm-hmm. in that sense. So... Um, I, I guess it's a preference really on, on the type of people you want to work with and also what your ambitions are for uh, for that asset that you've got. So, mm. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you to reach out to your client base to see whether they had any questions they'd like answered. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, mind reading a few of them out? I don't at all. And I actually had some questions asked me that I genuinely had no idea about. So mm-hmm. I am a student here as mm-hmm. much as anyone listening. So yeah, the first question I had here was... Um, well, I have a client, mm-hmm. and um, his company is registered. It's in the British Virgin Islands, mm-hmm. okay? And he wants to buy a house in the UK. He's looking at it uh, probably around a million pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, he just says, what does he necessarily need to be aware of? Yep. Okay, so when there is a company that is registered overseas, mm-hmm. so it's not registered at company's house, so it's not a UK registered company, mm-hmm. then we just need to be aware whether that company is uh, performing any UK activities. And by that, is it trading in the UK? At the moment, if he's not got a, um, a property in the UK, he's not performing a business activity, he doesn't need to worry about UK tax because all of his um, activities are outside the UK. And the company's registered outside, so it's not classed as a UK resident company. So that's all fine. But if he does buy a property in the UK through that investment vehicle, so through that company, then he needs to be aware of a few things. So one of the main things that overseas uh, 
individuals and company owners aren't aware of something called the annual tax on enveloped dwellings. So we call it ATED because it's such a mouthful. <laughs> and if you buy residential property in the UK with a value over £500,000, then and you're going to live in that company personally, then you will get severely taxed. Mm. And you'll get taxed not only through ATED, which is an annual charge for the whole time you own it, and that can be on a million pounds at something like maybe, I want to say around three to five thousand pounds. But when you go up to say six or seven million going into 60 and 70 thousand pounds a year. Yeah. And so you get taxed through um, ATED and then also stamp duty land tax when you first purchase the property is a f flat 15 percent charge. Mm. So you don't use this slice basis. It's just 15% on that 1 million, and that is your um, stamp duty land tax liability. Mm. And the reason that the UK do this is to prevent people using company vehicles, so that's why they call them enveloped dwellings in yeah. ATED, to buy personal property. Mm -hmm. They want the properties to be owned in the individual's name. Mm. Well, th this is super interesting mm. as well, because I um, obviously you were talking about it recently yeah. with regards to the conflict, as we sort of said. Yeah. Um, whereby oligarchs in Russia have got these UK properties mm -hmm. that they own and effectively what they're doing is is sort of laundering money through yeah. them. Is that right? I'm not really sure. Yeah, so the reason that they're bringing this in is so they can trace who actually owns the property in the UK. Because mm -hmm. at the moment, UK property owners um, are registered at Land Registry. So you can do a search at Land Registry for every property under your name but if you own property through a corporate structure then it will come up with the company name okay. but if it's a uk company that's registered at company's house you have something called your psc which is your person of significant control and that always has to be an individual eventually so you can trace it through it takes a little bit of time of putting the puzzle together but essentially you can see who owns what mm. but with overseas entities we don't have the knowledge or the database like company's house yeah. so you'll just have the overseas say bvi company listed as the owner but with this register you're going to have to also declare who's the ultimate beneficial owner so it won't just go say you've got your bvi company and then another company you have to go all the way through that corporate structure however it is to say who is the individual that actually is the ultimate owner of that property that's interesting do you think that perhaps other assets may start to kind of fall into this radar yeah. that um, is being created at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I think they did a, it's a big step forward by um, creating this register. It's going to um, operate exactly the same as Companies House. I would imagine it's going to be declared at Companies House as well because they're going to give you a very similar code. <laughs> and I, I believe that what HMRC and the government and the fraud team will do and, you know, they what they're trying to eventually figure out is which assets can they freeze and mm -hmm. potentially we have the risk of them they could do a check on how many properties you own and then compare it to your tax return yeah are you only declaring five thousand pounds a year of taxable income but mm -hmm. you have 35 different properties yeah so i think they'll start to use this information in some of their cases against they call it illicit funds you know it could be anything from terrorism to um, drug money to any other sort of activity that people aren't paying tax on and you know isn't for the benefit of the country mm. okay so another question why do non-residents have to pay capital gain tax when they sell uk land property because they didn't until 2015 is yeah. that right so why the change 
Well, as usual, the government wants more money. They know that they can yeah. get some tax back. Yeah, yeah, they need some more money in the pot. So, yeah, before 2015, overseas residents, be that companies, be that individuals, when they sold land or property in the UK, they didn't have to pay any tax. So that's great. And that sometimes that was because obviously they may need to pay tax in their own resident countries. But in 2015, the rules changed so that in April 15, the rules came in for residential properties and then all other land, so commercial or just bare land or anything remotely related to land that can fall in the pot, um, came in in April 2019. So what we call it now is if a resident, uh, sorry, if a non-resident sells land or property in the UK, then um, you have to rebase it. Okay. And you rebase it at its 2015 or its 2019 value, depending on if it's residential 15, if it's not residential 19. But the rules are actually quite beneficial and can sometimes work in non-residents' favour. So you have three options. One, you can work out your gain. So when I say gain, that is your selling price minus your original purchase price minus off any costs associated with the purchase and the sale, and minus off any refurbishments or significant works. We call them capital works, so if you enhance the building in any yeah. way. Then you have the amount at the end called your gain, mm -hmm. and you get taxed on that. Mm -hmm. So your option one is do work out the calculation from the day you bought it um, to the day you sell it. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's that amount of tax you're going to pay? Then you've got your second option, which is you can work out you've got your selling price, your cost at 2015 or 19, and you should get that professionally valued, minus off all your costs. Okay, is that gain larger or smaller? And most people may instantly think, oh, you obviously want to do the 15 or the 19. But if you've done a large refurbishment in 2014, you're going to want that cost to be deducted against your gain. And what about if in 2015, for some reason, there was a boom in that area for property? And your third option is to time a portion. So you work out the gain like number uh, point one, but then you only pay it on um, the time a portion from 2015 or 19 to the date you sell. So you actually have three options and you work out which one gives you the best outcome, which one gives you the lowest gain or perhaps the biggest loss. Mm. And then you're allowed to choose that one and declare that to HMRC. Okay, great. No, time apportionment relief is something that we do a lot for uh, for clients who are predominantly going to move back to the UK mm -hmm. for the use of offshore bonds yep. purely because the, the income and tax you can take from them depending on how long you were abroad for, how long the policy has been in force. Mm -hmm. You can effectively draw a tax-free income from an investment scheme similar to a pension but with probably a few more benefits. It's just getting it it's one of those things again when we come back to information mm -hmm. if i could be waiting at you know milan lenate airport with mm -hmm. a big sign saying i'll help you the finances now yeah that'd be the best thing but the truth is, is people got much more pressing uh, mm -hmm. things when they first land in milan um, yeah <laughs> probably finding the, the best i can tell you the best pizza place i can tell you the best mm -hmm. pasta place but to be honest it's best to go and find those yourselves but you know much more important than getting your your offshore bonds set up that's mm -hmm. for sure yeah um okay so one last question, shall yep. we? Okay, so, okay, so this is a good one, actually. Where can non-residents find information about their reporting obligations? Because so I get the, asked this yeah. all the time. Do you know, I've, I think that UK residents struggle with this as well. It's mm. because it's information overload. You yep. can... The easiest place to go first portal should always be the gov.uk website. Mm -hmm. But it is quite hard if you don't know what you need to search. They do have an overseas... Um, overseas residents um, page and then you can find you know different bits to click on there 
Otherwise, you can uh, just type the question that you want to ask into Google and then you will have um, articles and information written by all different types of people. So that might be accountants, it might be tax advisors, sometimes it could be pension advisors, mm -hmm. finance. And just read a few of those and see whether the themes are matching and whether you have sort of a base understanding and then speak to your tax advisor. Of course, and keep listening to... Always Able. listen to the Tax Able with Tash podcast. <laughs> I will do an overseas episode at some point, but it yeah. is a minefield because each country has their own set of rules, different yep. double tax treaty, mm -hmm. different considerations that you need to think about. Yeah, I think it's going back to the double taxation agreement mm. uh, or double D DTAs as we sh keep them short as. Mm. Um, sometimes you need to be a bit wary of these especially if you're planning on moving abroad yeah and you get advice regarding the double taxation agreement mm -hmm. a lot of the time they are completely irrelevant in order to you know actually get the advice that you need because mm -hmm. you can have a uk pension and live in italy for example and people say it's absolutely fine i can keep it in the uk there's a double taxation agreement it's fine but the truth is there are still a number of things which remain which are irrelevant of the DTA. So mm -hmm. one of those being lifetime allowance. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that there is a DTA. You are still charged LTA. Mm -hmm. There is something called the OTC, which is the Overseas Transfer Charge. Unless you live in the EU or the EEA and you want to transfer your pension, that's 25%. Oh, okay. wow. So you can lose yeah. a chunk of it. Exactly. So which obviously I'd never typically advise clients to do that mm -hmm. who don't live in that jurisdiction. Um, but again, nothing to do with the DTA. Mm -hmm. When you take um, money from a UK pension scheme and you live abroad, they automatically deduct 20%. Oh, withholding tax. Withholding tax, tax yeah. right? And then it's up to you to reclaim that money back from the mm -hmm. UK, right? Or pay the extra depending on the, the type of scheme you have. But the point is, is do you do you want to be doing that for the rest of your life? Yeah. I mean, take when you live in another country and you've got pay to pay advisors, and if you're not taking a lot out of your pension, you could end up with so little in your pocket. It's not actually worth exactly. it. Exactly. And I think that you know this is sometimes when I get a little bit you know frustrated about people mm. saying the double taxation agreement. It's fine. It's that it safety net that people think they have. It but doesn't yeah. matter. No, totally right. The people think they can sort of rely on that, and the truth is, it's like you can definitely take a much more um, positive step by mm -hmm. looking at restructuring or doing something slightly different with yeah. that pension scheme for sure. And always before you move, advice is always get advice and talk to all of your advisors before you decide to move somewhere. Information is king completely. Mm -hmm. and, and as I said, I actually try to be quite agnostic when mm -hmm. it comes to advice. My job really is just option A, option B, what's better for you. Yeah. I do advise clients um, who are who have arrangements. Sometimes I have clients who come to me and say, Zach, can you just, you know, putting a different set of eyes mm -hmm. on what they've already done. Yeah. And sometimes I can just go tick, 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 tick. You're great. You don't need to yeah. pay me a dime. <laughs> yeah, a, they just want to know that but they, the there's right no skeletons to... in the closet, that they've thought of everything and they've done everything they needed to do. And the sad mm. thing is, it's typically the people who are not paying any attention to what they're doing, who are the ones you definitely know you can help. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes if you just take as we sort of said before, take 20 minutes for yourself. Because mm -hmm. all you need is just to sit down, put your ducks in order, take a look at what's available. It might be that you don't want to do anything with what mm -hmm. you've got. It might be that there isn't anything you can improve on. Nine times out of 10, there is something yeah. you can improve on always, as we all can. Yeah. Um, however, it is just taking a little bit of time not to do that. <laughs> so if someone is watching this and they want to get in contact with you, how should they reach out? Um, the best way with me is typically through 
LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn a lot. So mm-hmm. Zachary Stafford is my name on LinkedIn and there's a picture of my face. So Yeah, and I'll <laughs> add some links at the end of this as well sure, and in the, in the description. Yeah. So that's the best way. Just get Admiral there because I think the important thing there obviously has all in writing. It's basically a, a CV. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things I am most proud of and sometimes, you know, you, you have to be is, is I have an, my client recommendations mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. And, you know, when, when someone writes your recommendation uh, and says, you know, talks about what you've managed to do for them, um, it really does, you know, makes you yeah. feel good. That's, and it is, it's the best part about my job. It really, yeah. really is. Is when Puts it into perspective for you, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. So, mm. And therefore you can see that a few people do trust me. There mm-hmm. you go. So, yeah. there you go. <laughs> so that's the best way to get in touch with me. And then, I, and then, we, and then from there, I, I do calls for free, I give advice mm-hmm. out for free. And then it's only if we, you know, if we be totally transparent, talk about my cost, let's mm-hmm. say, it's only if you think you want to become a client of mine. Or yeah, if, and an you, if you think you can definitely help them. Exactly. Yeah. That's when we move into what we call chargeable territory, yeah. so to speak. But any advice, any questions anyone has, please just drop me a message and I'm more than happy to answer for them. Yeah, you've definitely made pensions more accessible and I'm going to use the word exciting even though I'm <laughs> I'm a tax nerd. So <laughs> for me, it's exciting because now I can actually yeah. talk about them. Probably I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. But it's always good to have an awareness and an understanding, especially um, with something that's going to affect you. So it's going to impact your later life. Mm, for sure. So. Great. Well, thank you for coming in. Thank you very much, Tash. And thank you very much for having me. Cheers. Thanks. <laughs>